Part three of Miss Alliance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Miss Alliance by George Bernard Shaw. Part three. The man coming out of the bath, pistol in hand. Another sound, and you're a dead man. Am I? Well, you're a live one. That's one comfort. I thought you were a ghost. He sits down, quite undisturbed by the pistol. Who are you, and what the devil were you doing in my Turkish bath? I am the son of Lucinda Titmus. Tarleton, the name conveying nothing to him. Indeed. And how is she? Quite well, I hope, eh? Huh? She is dead. Dead, my God, and you're alive. Tarleton, unimpressed by the tragedy, but sympathetic. Oh, lost your mother? That's sad. I'm sorry. But we can't all have the luck to survive our mothers and be nursed out of the world by the hands that nursed us into it. Much you care, damn you. Oh, don't cut up, Ruff. Face it like a man. You see, I didn't know your mother, but I've no doubt that she was an excellent woman. Not know her? Do you dare to stand there by her open grave and deny that you knew her? What did you say her name was? Lucinda Titmus. Well, I ought to remember a rum name like that if I ever heard it, but I don't. Have you a photograph or anything? Forgotten even the name of your victim. Oh, she was my victim, was she? She was. And you shall see her face again before you die, dead as she is. I have a photograph. Good. I've two photographs. Still better. Treasure the mother's pictures, good boy. One of them as you knew her, the other as she became when you flung her aside, and she withered into an old woman. She'd have done that anyhow, my lad. We all grow old. Look at me. Seeing that the man is embarrassed by his pistol in fumbling for the photographs with his left hand in his breast pocket. Let me hold the gun for you. The man, retreating to the work table. Stand back. Do you take me for a fool? Well, you're a little upset, naturally. It does you credit. Look here upon this picture, and on this. He holds out the two photographs like a hand at cards, and points to them with the pistol. Good. Read Shakespeare. He has a word for every occasion. He takes the photographs, one in each hand, and looks from one to the other, pleased and interested, but without any sign of recognition. What a pretty girl! Very pretty! I could imagine myself falling in love with her when I was your age. I wasn't a bad-looking young fellow myself in those days. Looking at the other. Curious that we should both have gone the same way. You and she the same way? What do you mean? Oh, both got stout, I mean. Would you have had her deny herself food? No, it wouldn't have been any use. It's constitutional. No matter how little you eat, you put on flesh if you're made that way. He resumes his study of the earlier photograph. Is that all the feeling that rises in you at the sight of the face you once knew so well? Tarleton, too much absorbed in the portrait to heed him. Funny thing that I can't remember. Let this be a lesson to you, young man. I could go into court tomorrow and swear I never saw that face before in my life if it wasn't for that brooch. 
pointing to the photograph. Have you got that brooch, by the way? The man again resorts to his breast pocket. You seem to carry the whole family property in that pocket. The man, producing a brooch. Here it is to prove my bona fides. Tarleton, pensively putting the photographs on the table and taking the brooch. I bought that brooch in Cheapside from a man with a yellow wig and a cast in his left eye. I've never set eyes on him from that day to this, and yet I remember that man, and I can't remember your mother. Monster! Without conscience! Without even memory! You left her to her shame! Tarleton, throwing the brooch on the table and rising pepperly. Come, come, young man, none of that. Respect the romance of your mother's youth. Now, don't start throwing stones at her. I don't recall her features just at this moment, but I've no doubt that she was kind to me and we were happy together. If you have a word to say against her, take yourself out of my house and say it elsewhere. What sort of a joker are you? Are you trying to put me in the wrong when you have to answer to me for a crime that would make every honest man spit at you as you passed in the street if I were to make it known? You read a good deal, don't you? What if I do? What has that to do with your infamy and my mother's doom? There, you see, doom. That's not good sense, but it's literature. Now it happens that I'm a tremendous reader, always was. When I was your age, I read books of that sort by the bushel, the doom sort, you know. It's odd, isn't it, that you and I should be like one another in that respect? Can you account for it in any way? No. What are you driving at? Well, do you know who your father was? I see what you mean now. You dare set up to be my father. Thank heaven I've not a drop of your vile blood in my veins. Tarleton, sitting down again with a shrug. Well, if you won't be civil, there's no pleasure in talking to you, is there? What do you want? Money? How dare you insult me? Well, what do you want? Justice. You're quite sure that's all? It's enough for me. A modest sort of demand, isn't it? Nobody ever had it since the world began, fortunately for themselves. But well, you must have it, must you? Well, you've come to the wrong shop for it. You'll get no justice here. We don't keep it. Human nature is what we stock. Human nature? Debauchery, gluttony, selfishness, robbery of the poor. Is that what you call human nature? No, that's what you call it. Come, my lad, what's the matter with you? You don't look starved, and you've a decent suit of clothes. Forty-two shillings. They can do you a very decent suit for forty-two shillings. Have you paid for it? Do you take me for a thief? And do you suppose I can get credit like you? Then you were able to lay your hand on forty-two shillings. Judging from your conversational style, I should think you must spend at least a shilling a week on romantic literature. Where would I get a shilling a week to spend on books when I can hardly keep myself decent? I get books at the free library. Tarleton, springing to his feet. What? The man, recoiling before his vehemence. The free library? There's no harm in that. Ingrate! 
I supply you with free books, and the use you make of them is to persuade yourself that it's a fine thing to shoot me. He throws himself doggedly back into his chair. I'll never give another penny to a free library. You'll never give another penny to anything. This is the end. For you and me. Pooh! Come, come, man, talk business. What's wrong? Are you out of employment? No, this is my Saturday afternoon. Don't flatter yourself that I'm a loafer or a criminal. I'm a cashier, and I defy you to say that my cash has ever been a farthing wrong. I've a right to call you to account because my hands are clean. Well, call away. What have I to account for? Had you a hard time with your mother? Why didn't she ask me for money? She'd have died first. Besides, who wanted your money? Do you suppose we lived in the gutter? My father may have been in as large a way as you, but he was better connected, and his shop was as respectable as yours. I suppose your mother brought him a little capital. I don't know. What's that got to do with you? Well, you say she and I knew one another and parted. She must have had something off me then, you know. One doesn't get out of these things for nothing. Hang it, young man, do you suppose I've no heart? Of course she had her due, and she found a husband with it, and set him up in business with it, and brought you up respectably. So what the devil have you to complain of? Are women to be ruined with impunity? I haven't ruined any woman that I'm aware of. I've been the making of you and your mother. Oh, I'm a fool to listen to you and argue with you. I came here to kill you, and then kill myself. Begin with yourself, if you don't mind. I've a good deal of business to do still before I die. Haven't you? No. That's just it. I've no business to do. Do you know what my life is? I spend my days from nine to six, nine hours of daylight and fresh air, in a stuffy little den counting another man's money. I've an intellect, a mind and a brain and a soul, and the, the use he makes of them is to fix them on his tuppences and his eighteen pences and his two pounds seventeen and ten pences, and see how much they come out to at the end of the day and take care that no one steals them. I enter, and enter, and add, and add, and take money, and give change, and fill checks, and stamp receipts, and not a penny of that money is my own. Not one of those transactions is the smallest interest for me, or anyone else in the world but him, and even he couldn't stand it if he had to do it all himself. And I'm envied, why, envied, for the variety and liveliness of my job by the poor devil of a bookkeeper that has to copy all my entries over again. Fifty thousand entries a year that poor wretch makes, and not ten out of the fifty thousand ever has to be referred to again. And when all the figures are counted up and the balance sheet made out, the boss isn't a penny the richer than he'd be if bookkeeping had never been invented. Of all the damnable waste of human life that ever was invented, clerking is the very worst. Why not join the Territorials? Because I shouldn't be let. He hasn't even the sense to see that it would pay him to get some cheap soldiering out of me. How can a man tied to a desk from nine to six be anything, be even a man, let alone a soldier? But I'll teach him and you a lesson. 
I've had enough of living a dog's life and despising myself for it. I've had enough of being talked down to by hogs like you and wearing my life out for a salary that wouldn't keep you in cigars. But you'll never believe that a clerk's a man until one of us makes an example of one of you. Despotism tempered by assassination, eh? Yes, that's what they do in Russia. Well, a business office in Russia, as far as the clerks are concerned. So don't you take it so coolly. You think I'm not going to do it, but I am. Tarleton, rising and facing him. Come now, as man to man. It's not my fault that you're poorer than I am, and it's not your fault that I'm richer than you. And if you could undo all that passed between me and your mother, you wouldn't undo it, and neither would she. But you're sick of your slavery, and you want to be the hero of a romance and to get into the papers, eh? A son revenges his mother's shame, villain weltering in his gore. Mother, look down from heaven and receive your unhappy son's last sigh. Oh, rot! Do you think I read novelettes? And do you suppose I believe such superstitions as heaven? I go to church because the boss told me I'd get the sack if I didn't. Free England! Ha! Lena appears at the pavilion door and comes swiftly and noiselessly forward, on seeing the man with a pistol in his hand. You're afraid of getting the sack, but you're not afraid to shoot yourself. Damn you! You're trying to keep me talking until somebody comes. He raises the pistol desperately, but not very resolutely. Lena, at his right elbow. Somebody has come. The man, turning on her. Stand off! I'll shoot you if you lay a hand on me. I will, by God. You can't cover me with that pistol. Try. He tries, presenting the pistol at her face. She moves round him in the opposite direction to the hands of a clock, with a light dancing step. He finds it impossible to cover her with the pistol. She is always too far to his left. Tarleton, behind him, grips his wrist and drags his arm straight up, so that the pistol points to the ceiling. As he tries to turn on his assailant, Lena grips his other wrist. Please stop. I can't bear to twist anyone's wrist. But I must, if you don't let the pistol go. The man, letting Tarleton take it from him. All right. I'm done. Couldn't even do that job decently. That's a clerk all over. Very well. Send for your damn police and make an end of it. I'm accustomed to prison from nine to six. I dare say I can stand it from six to nine as well. Don't swear. That's a lady. He throws the pistol on the writing-table. The man, looking at Lena in amazement. Beaten by a female! <laughs> it needed only this. He collapses in the chair near the work-table, and hides his face. They cannot help pitying him. Old pal, don't call the police. Lend him a bicycle, and let him get away. I can't ride a bicycle. I never could afford one. I'm not even that much good. If I gave you a hundred-pound note now to go and have a good spree with, I wonder would you know how to set about it. Do you ever take a holiday? Take? I got four days last August. And what did you do? I did a cheap trip to Folkestone. I spent seven pence on dropping pennies into silly automatic machines and peep-shows of rowdy girls having a jolly time. I spent a penny on the lift and fourpence for refreshments. That cleaned me out. 
The rest of the time I was so miserable that I was glad to get back to the office. Now you know. Come to the gymnasium. I'll teach you how to make a man of yourself. The man is about to rise, irresolutely, from the mere habit of doing what he is told, when Tarleton stops him. Young man, don't. You've tried to shoot me, but I'm not vindictive. I draw the line at putting a man on the rack. If you want every joint in your body stretched until it's an agony to live, until you have an unnatural feeling that all your muscles are singing and laughing with pain, then go to the gymnasium with that lady, but you'll be more comfortable in jail. Was that why you went away, old pal? Was that the telegram you said you had forgotten to send? Mrs. Tarleton comes in hastily through the inner door. Is anything the matter, John? Nurse says she heard you calling me a quarter of an hour ago, and that your voice sounded as if you were ill. She comes between Tarleton and the man. Is anything the matter? This is the son of an old friend of mine, Mr. Uh, Mr. Gunner. To the man, who rises awkwardly. My wife. Good evening to you. <sighs> he is too nervous to speak, and makes a shambling bow. Bentley looks in at the pavilion door, very peevish, and too preoccupied with his own affairs to pay any attention to those of the company. I say, has anybody seen Hypatia? She promised to come out with me, and I can't find her anywhere. And where's Joey? Gunner, suddenly breaking out aggressively, being incapable of any middle way between submissiveness and violence. I can tell you where Hypatia is. I can tell you where Joey is. And I say it's a scandal and an infamy. If people only knew what goes on in this so-called respectable house, it would be put a stop to. These are the morals of our pious capitalist class. This is your rotten bourgeoisie. This— Don't you dare use such language in company. I won't allow it. All right, Chickabiddy, it's not bad language. It's only socialism. Well, I won't have any socialism in my house. You hear what Mrs. Tarleton says? Well, in this house, everybody does what she says, or out they go. Do you suppose I want to stay? Do you think I would breathe this polluted atmosphere a moment longer than I could help? Bentley, running forward between Lena and Gunner. But what did you mean by what you said about Miss Tarleton and Mr. Percival, you beastly rotter, you? Oh, is Hypatia your daughter? And Joey is Mr. Percival, is he? <laughs> One of your set, I suppose. One of the smart set. One of the bridge-playing, eighty-horsepower weekender set. One of the Johnnies I slave for. Well, Joey has more decency than your daughter anyhow. The women are the worst. I never believed it till I saw it with my own eyes. Well, it won't last forever. The writing is on the wall. Rome fell. Babylon fell. Hindhead's turn will come. Mrs. Tarleton, naively looking at the wall for the writing. Whatever are you talking about, young man? I know what I'm talking about. I went into that Turkish bath a boy. I came out a man. Good gracious, he's mad. Did John make him take a Turkish bath? No, he doesn't need a Turkish bath. He needs to put on a little flesh. I don't understand what it's all about. I found him trying to shoot Mr. Tarleton. <gasps> oh, and John encouraging him, I'll be bound. Bunny, you go for the police. 
I'll teach you to come into my house and shoot my husband. Teach away. I never asked to be let off. I'm ashamed to be free instead of taking my part with the rest. Women, beautiful women of noble birth, are, are going to prison for all their opinions. Girl students in Russia go to the gallows. Let themselves be cut in pieces with the knout, or driven through the frozen snows of Siberia, sooner than stand looking on tamely at the world being made a hell for the toiling millions. If you were not all skunks and cowards, you'd be suffering with them instead of battening here on the plunder of the poor. Oh, did you ever hear such silly nonsense? Bunny, go and tell the gardener to send over one of his men to Greyshot for the police. I'll go with him. I intend to give myself up. I'm going to expose what I've seen here, no matter what the consequences may be to my miserable self. Stop. You stay where you are, Ben. Chickabiddy, you've never had the police in. If you had, you'd not be in a hurry to have them in again. Now, young man, cut the cackle, and tell us, as short as you can, what did you see? I can't tell you in the presence of ladies. Oh, you are tiresome, as if it mattered to anyone what you saw. Me, a married woman that might be your mother. To Lena. And I'm sure you're not particular, if you'll excuse my saying so. Out with it. What did you see? I saw your daughter with my own eyes. Oh, well, never mind what I saw. You beastly rotter! I'll get Joey to give you such a hiding! You can't leave it at that, you know. What did you see my daughter doing? After all, why shouldn't she do it? The Russian students do it. Women should be as free as men. I'm a fool. I'm so full of your bourgeois morality that I let myself be shocked by the application of my own revolutionary principles. If she likes the man, why shouldn't she tell him so? I do wonder at you, John, letting him talk like this before everybody. Turning rather tartly to Lena. Would you mind going away to the drawing-room just for a few minutes, Miss Chipanoska? This is a private family matter, if you don't mind. I should have gone before, Mrs. Tarleton, if there had been anyone to protect Mr. Tarleton and the young gentleman. You're quite right, Miss Lena. You must stand by. I could have tackled him this morning. But since you put me through these exercises, I'd rather die than even shake hands with a man, much less fight him. It's all of a piece here. The men effeminate, the women unsexed. Don't begin again, old chap. Keep it for Trafalgar Square. No, no! She breaks off in a stifled half-laugh, half-scream, and is seen darting across the garden with Percival in hot pursuit. Immediately afterwards she appears again and runs into the pavilion. Finding it full of people, including a stranger, she stops. But Percival, flushed and reckless, rushes in and seizes her before he too realizes that they are not alone. He releases her in confusion. Dead silence. They are all afraid to look at one another, except Mrs. Tarleton, who stares sternly at Hypatia. Hypatia is the first to recover her presence of mind. Excuse me rushing in like this. Mr. Percival has been chasing me down the hill. Who chased him up it? Don't be ashamed. Be fearless. Be truthful. Gunner, will you go to Paris for a fortnight? I'll pay your expenses. What do you mean? There was a silent witness in the Turkish bath. 
I found him hiding there. Whatever went on here he saw and heard. That's what he means. Percival, sternly approaching Gunner, and speaking with deep but contained indignation. Am I to understand you as daring to put forward the monstrous and blackguardly lie that this lady behaved improperly in my presence? You know what I saw and heard. Hypatia, with a gleam of triumph in her eyes, slips noiselessly into the swing chair, and watches Percival and Gunner, swinging slightly, but otherwise motionless. I hope it is not necessary for me to assure you all that there is not one word of truth, not one grain of substance in this rascally calumny which no man with a spark of decent feeling would have uttered even if he had been ignorant enough to believe it. Miss Tarleton's conduct, since I have had the honour of knowing her, has been, I need hardly say, in every respect beyond reproach. As for you, sir, you will have the goodness to come out with me immediately. I have some business with you which can't be settled in Miss Tarleton's presence or in her house. Why should I go out with you? Because I intend that you shall. I won't be bullied by you. Percival makes a threatening step toward him. Police! He tries to bolt, but Percival seizes him. Let me go, will you? What right have you to lay hands on me? Let him run for it, Mr. Percival. He's very poor company. We shall be well rid of him. Let him go. Not until he's taken back and made the fullest apology for the abominable lie that he has told. He shall do that, or he shall defend himself as best as he can against the most thorough thrashing I am capable of giving him. Releasing Gunner, but facing him ominously. Take your choice. Which is it to be? Give me a fair chance. Go and stick at a desk from nine to six for a month, and let me have your grub and your sport and your lessons in boxing, and I'll fight you fast enough. You know I'm no good, or you daren't bully me like this. You should have thought of that before you attacked a lady with a dastardly slander. I'm waiting for your decision. I'm rather in a hurry. Please. I never said anything against the lady. Oh, what a liar! That. We'll have it in writing, if you don't mind. Pointing to the writing table. Sit down and take that pen in your hand. Gunner looks irresolutely a little way round, then obeys. Now write, I, whatever your name is. I can't. My hand's shaking too much. You see, it's no use. I'm doing my best. I can't. Mr. Summerhays will write it. You can sign it. Get up. Gunner obeys, and Bentley, shouldering him aside towards Percival, takes his place and prepares to write. What's your name? John Brown. Oh, come. Couldn't you make it Horace Smith or, or Algernon Robinson? But my name is John Brown. There are really John Browns. How can I help it if my name's a common one? Show us a letter addressed to you. How can I? I never get any letters. I'm only a clerk. I can show you J.B. on my handkerchief. He takes out a not very clean one. Oh, put it up again. Let it go, John Brown. Where do you live? Four Chesterfield Parade, Kentish Town, N.W. I, John Brown, of Four Chesterfield Parade, Kentish Town, do hereby voluntarily confess that on the 31st of May, 1909, I... Uh, what did he do exactly? I trespassed on the land of John Tarleton at Hindhead, and effected an unlawful entry into his house, where I secreted myself in a portable Turkish bath. Go slow, man. Just a moment. Turkish bath, yes? With a pistol, with which I threatened to take the life of the said John Tarleton. Oh, John, you might have been killed. And was prevented from doing so only by the timely arrival of the celebrated Miss Lina Shushpirovska. Is she celebrated? I never dreamt. Oh, look here. I'm awfully sorry, but I can't spell Shushpirovska. I think it's S-Z-C-Z. 
Zed. Lena gives him her visiting card. Uh, thank you. He throws it on Bentley's blotter. Thanks, Orfley. He writes the name. Now it's your turn. I further confess that I was guilty of uttering an abominable calumny concerning Miss Hypatia Tarleton for which there was not a shred of foundation. Impressive silence whilst Bentley writes. Foundation? I apologize most humbly to the lady and her family for my conduct. He waits for Bentley to write. Conduct? And I promised Mr. Tarleton not to repeat it and to amend my life. Amend my life? And to do what in me lies to prove worthy of his kindness in giving me another chance? Another chance? And refraining from delivering me up to the punishment I so richly deserve. Richly deserve? Does that satisfy you, Miss Tarleton? Yes, that will teach him to tell lies next time. Bentley, rising to make place for Gunner and handing him the pen. You mean it will teach him to tell the truth next time? <clears throat> Do you, Patsy? Be good enough to sign. Gunner sits down helplessly and dips the pen in the ink. I hope what you are signing is no mere form of words to you, and that you not only say you are sorry, but that you are sorry. Lord Summerhays and Johnny come in through the pavilion door. Stop, Mr. Percival. I think, on Hypatia's account, Lord Summerhays ought to be told about this. Lord Summerhays, wondering what the matter is, comes forward between Percival and Lena. Johnny stops beside Hypatia. Certainly. Take my advice and cut it short. Get rid of him. Hypatia ought to have her character cleared. You let well alone, Chickabiddy. Most of our characters will bear a little careful dusting, but they won't bear scouring. Patsy is jolly well out of it. What does it matter, anyhow? Mr. Tarleton, we've already said either too much or not enough. Lord Summerhays, would you be kind enough to witness the declaration this man has just signed? I haven't yet. Am I to sign now? Of course. Gunner, who is now incapable of doing anything on his own initiative, signs. Now, stand up and read your declaration to the gentleman. Gunner makes a vague movement and looks stupidly round. Percival adds peremptorily. Now, please. Gunner, rising apprehensively and reading in a hardly audible voice, like a very sick man. I, John Brown of Fort Chesterfield Parade, Kentish Town, do hereby voluntarily confess that on the 31st May 1909 I trespassed on the land of John Tarleton at Hindhead and effected an unlawful entry into his house where I secreted myself in a portable Turkish bath with a pistol with which I threatened to take the life of the said John Tarleton and was prevented from doing so only by the timely arrival of the celebrated Miss Lena Shipanasica. I further confess that I was guilty of uttering an abominable calumny concerning Miss Hypatia Tarleton, for which there was not a shred of foundation. I apologize most humbly to the lady and her family for my conduct, and I promise Mr. Tarleton not to repeat it and to amend my life and to do what in me lies to prove worthy of his kindness in giving me another chance and refraining from delivering me up to the punishment I so richly deserve. A short and painful silence follows. Do you consider that sufficient, Lord Summerhays? Oh, quite, quite. Lord Summerhays would probably like to hear you say that you are satisfied, Miss Tarleton. 
Hypatia, coming out of the swing and advancing between Percival and Lord Summerhays. I must say that you have behaved like a perfect gentleman, Mr. Percival. Percival, first bowing to Hypatia, and then turning with cold contempt to Gunner, who was standing helpless. We need not trouble you any further. Gunner turns vaguely toward the pavilion. Johnny, with less refined offensiveness, pointing to the pavilion. That's your way. The gardener will show you the shortest way into the road. Go the shortest way. Yes, sir. I— He turns again, appealing to Tarleton. Mayn't I have my mother's photographs back again? Mrs. Tarleton pricks up her ears. Huh? What? Oh, the photographs. Yes, yes, yes. Take them. Gunner takes them from the table and is creeping away, when Mrs. Tarleton puts out her hand and stops him. What's this, John? What were you doing with his mother's photographs? Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, never mind, Chickabitty. It's all right. Mrs. Tarleton, snatching the photographs from Gunner's irresolute fingers, and recognizing them at a glance. Lucy Titmus. Oh, John, John. Young man, you're a fool. But you've just put the lid on this job in a masterly manner. I knew you would. I told you all to let well alone. You wouldn't, and now you must take the consequences. Or rather, I must take them. Are you Lucy's son? Yes. And why didn't you come to me? I didn't turn my back on your mother when she came to me in her trouble. Didn't you know that? No, she never talked to me about anything. How could she talk to her own son? Shy, Summer Hayes, shy. Parent and child, shy. He sits down at the end of the writing-table nearest the sideboard, like a man resigned to anything that fate may have in store for him. Then how did you find out? From her papers after she died. Is Lucy dead? And I never knew. And you here being treated like that, poor orphan, with nobody to take your part. Tear up that foolish paper, child, and sit down and make friends with me. Hello, Will you please speak one at a time? Will you allow me to remind you, Mrs. Talton, that this man has uttered a most serious and disgraceful falsehood concerning Miss Talton and myself? I don't believe a word of it. If the poor lad was there in the Turkish bath, who has a better right to say what was going on here than he has? You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Patsy, and so ought you too, Mr. Percival, for encouraging her. Hypatia retreats to the pavilion, and exchanges grimaces with Johnny, shamelessly enjoying Percival's sudden reverse. They know their mother. Mrs. Tarleton, I give you my word of honour. Oh, go along with you and your word of honour. Do you think I am a fool? I wonder you can look the lad in the face after bullying him and making him sign those wicked lies, and all the time you carrying on with my daughter, before you'd been half an hour in my house. Fie! For shame! Lord Summerhays, I appeal to you. Have I done the correct thing or not? You've done your best, Mr. Percival, but the correct thing depends for its success on everybody playing the game very strictly. As a single-handed game, it's impossible. Joey! Have you taken Hypatia away from me? Bentley, Bentley, control yourself, sir. Come, Mr. Percival, the shutters are up on the gentlemanly business. Try the truth. I'm in a wretched position. If I tell the truth, nobody will believe me. 
Oh, yes, they will. The truth makes everybody believe it. It also makes everybody pretend not to believe it. Mrs. Tarleton, you're not playing the game. I don't think you've behaved at all nicely, Mr. Percival. I wouldn't have played you such a dirty trick, Jerry. <laughs> oh, you beast! Bentley, you must control yourself. Let me say at the same time, Mr. Percival, that my son seems to have been mistaken in regarding you either as his friend or as a gentleman. Miss Tarleton, I'm suffering this for your sake. I ask you just to say that I am not to blame. Just that, and nothing more. You chased me through the heather and kissed me. You shouldn't have done that if you were not in earnest. Oh, this really is the limit. Turning desperately to Gunner. Sir, I appeal to you, as a gentleman, as a man of honour, as a man bound to stand by another man. You were in that Turkish bath. You saw how it began. Could any man have behaved more correctly than I did? Is there a shadow of foundation for the accusations brought against me? Well, what do you want me to say? He has said what he had to say already, hasn't he? Read that paper. When I tell the truth, you make me go back on it. And now you want me to go back on myself. What is a man to do? Please try to get your mind clear, Mr. Brown. I pointed out to you that you could not, as a gentleman, disparage a lady's character. You agree with me, I hope? Yes, that sounds all right. But you're also bound to tell the truth. Surely you'll not deny that. Who's denying it? I say nothing against it. Of course not. Well, I ask you to tell the truth simply and unaffectedly. Did you witness any improper conduct on my part when you were in the bath? No, sir. Oh, do you what mean do to you say, mean say that? that? You're afraid. Stop. Leave it at that. Enough said. You keep quiet, Johnny. Mr. Percival, you're whitewashed. So are you, Patsy. Honors are easy. Let's drop the subject. The next thing to do is to open a subscription to start this young man on a ranch in some far country that's accustomed to be in a disturbed state. He— Now stop joking the poor lad, John. I won't have it. He has been worried to death between you all. Have you had your tea? Tea? No, it's too early. I'm all right, only I had no dinner. I didn't think I'd want it. I didn't think I'd be alive. Oh, what a thing to say. You mustn't talk like that. He's out of his mind. He thinks it's past dinner time. Oh, you've no sense, Johnny. He calls his lunch his dinner and has his tea at half-past six. Haven't you, dear? Hasn't everybody? <laughs> well, by George, that's not bad. Now, don't be rude, Johnny. You know I don't like it. A cup of tea will pick you up. I'd rather not. I'm all right. Tarleton, going to the sideboard. Here, try a mouthful of slow gin. No thanks. I'm a teetotaler. I can't touch alcohol in any form. Uh, nonsense. This isn't alcohol. Slow gin. Vegetarian, you know. Is it a fruit beverage? Of course it is. Fruit beverage. Here you are. He gives him a glass of slow gin. Gunner, going to the sideboard. Thanks. He begins to drink it confidently, but the first mouthful startles and almost chokes him. <laughs> it, it, it's rather hot. Do you good. Don't be afraid of it. Sip it, dear. Don't be in a hurry. Gunner sips slowly, each sip making his eyes water. Johnny, coming forward into the place left vacant by Gunner's visit to the sideboard. 
Well, now that the gentleman has been attended to, I should like to know where we are. It may be a vulgar business habit, but I confess I like to know where I am. I don't. Wherever you are, you're there anyhow. I tell you again, leave it at that. I want to know too. I bet she's engaged to me. Bentley, if you insult me again, if you say another word, I'll leave the house and not enter it until you leave it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, my boy. Oh, beasts! Brutes! Now don't hurt his feelings, poor little lamb. Bentley, you are not behaving well. You had better leave us until you have recovered yourself. Bentley goes out in disgrace, but gets no further than halfway to the pavilion door, when, with a wild sob, he throws himself on the floor and begins to yell. Mrs. Tarleton, running to him. Oh, poor child, poor child, don't cry, ducky. He didn't mean it. Don't cry. Stop that infernal noise, sir. Do you hear? Stop it instantly. That's the game he tried on me. There you are. Now, mother, now, Patsy, you see for yourselves. Oh, you little wretch. Stop him, Mr. Percival. Kick him. Steady on, steady on. Easy, bunny, easy. Leave him to me, Mrs. Tarleton. Stand clear, please. She kneels opposite Bentley, quickly lifts the upper half of him from the ground, and dives under him, rises with his body hanging across her shoulders, and runs out with him. What are you doing? Let me down! Please, Mr. Chapilovska! They pass out of hearing. An awestruck silence falls on the company as they speculate on Bentley's fate. I wonder what she's going to do with him. Spank him, I hope. Spank him hard. I hope so. I hope so, Tarleton. I'm beyond measure humiliated and annoyed by my son's behavior in your house. I had better take him home. Not at all. Not at all. Now, check a biddy. As Miss Lena has taken away Ben, suppose you take away Mr. Brown for a while. My name isn't Brown. They stare at him. He meets their stare defiantly, pugnacious with slow gin, drains the last drop from his glass, throws it on the sideboard, and advances to the writing-table. My name's Baker. Julius Baker. Mr. Baker. If any man doubts it, I'm ready for him. John, you shouldn't have given him that slow gin. It's gone to his head. Don't you think it? Fruit beverages don't go to the head, and what matter if they did? I say nothing to you, ma'am. I regard you with respect and affection. You were very good to my mother, my poor mother. But I say my name's Baker, and I'm not to be treated as a child or made a slave of by any man. Baker is my name. Did you think I was going to give you my real name? Not likely. Not me. So you thought of John Brown. That was clever of you. Clever? Yes. We're not all such fools as you think, we clerks. It was the bookkeeper put me up to that. It's the only name that nobody gives as a false name, he said. Clever. <laughs> I should think so. Come now, Julius. Don't be alarmed, ma'am. I know what is due to you as a lady and to myself as a gentleman. I regard you with respect and affection. If you had been my mother, as you ought to have been, I should have had more chance. But you shall have no cause to be ashamed of me. The strength of a chain is no greater than its weakest link. But the greatness of a poet is the greatness of his greatest moment. Shakespeare used to get drunk. 
Frederick the Great ran away from a battle. But it was what they could rise to, not what they could sink to, that made them great. They weren't good always, but they were good on their day. Well, on my day, on my day, mind you, I'm good for something too. I know that I've made a silly exhibition of myself here. I know I didn't rise to the occasion. I know that if you'd been my mother, you'd have been ashamed of me. I lost my presence of mind. I was a contemptible coward. But, slapping himself on the chest, I'm not the man I was then. This is my day. I've seen the tenth possessor of a foolish face carried out kicking and screaming by a woman. You crowed pretty big over me. You hypnotized me. But when you were put through the fire yourself, you were found wanting. I tell you straight, I don't give a damn for you. No, that's naughty. You shouldn't say that before me. I would cut my tongue out sooner than say anything vulgar in your presence, for I regard you with respect and affection. I was not swearing. I was affirming my manhood. What an idea! What puts all these things into your head? Oh, don't you think because I'm a clerk that I'm not one of the intellectuals? I'm a reading man, a thinking man. I read in a book, a high-class six-shilling book, this precept, affirm your manhood. It appealed to me. I've always remembered it. I believe in it. I feel I must do it to recover your respect after my cowardly behavior. Therefore, I affirm it in your presence. I tell that man who insulted me that I don't give a damn for him, and neither I do. I say, Summerhays, did you have chaps of this sort at Genghis Khan? Oh, yes, they exist everywhere. They are a most serious modern problem. Yes, you're right. I have a problem. And I tell you that when we clerks realize that we're problems, well, look out, that's all. You read a great deal, you say? I've read more than any man in this room, if the truth were known, I expect. That's what's going to smash up your capitalism. The problems are beginning to read. Ah, we're free to do that here in England. What would you do with me in Genghis Khan if you had me there? Well, since you ask me so directly, I'll tell you. I should take advantage of the fact that you have neither sense enough nor strength enough to know how to behave yourself in a difficulty of any sort. I should warn an intelligent and ambitious policeman that you are a troublesome person. The intelligent and ambitious policeman would take an early opportunity of upsetting your temper by ordering you to move on and treading on your heels until you were provoked into obstructing an officer in the discharge of his duty. Any trifle of that sort would be sufficient to make a man like you lose your self-possession and put yourself in the wrong. You would then be charged and imprisoned until things quieted down. And you call that justice? No, justice was not my business. I had to govern a province, and I took the necessary steps to maintain order in it. Men are not governed by justice, but by law or persuasion. 
when they refuse to be governed by law or persuasion they have to be governed by force or fraud or both i used both when law and persuasion failed me every ruler of men since the world began has done so even when he has hated both fraud and force as heartily as i do it is as well that you should know this my young friend so that you may recognize in time that anarchism is a game at which the police can beat you what have you to say to that what have i to say to it well i call it scandalous that's what i have to say to it precisely that's all anybody has to say to it except the british public which pretends not to believe it and now let me ask you a sympathetic personal question haven't you a headache well since you ask me i have i've overexcited myself poor lad no wonder after all you've gone through you want to eat a little and to lie down you come with me i want you to tell me about your poor dear mother and about yourself come along with me she leads the way to the inner door gunner following her obediently thank you kindly madam she goes out before passing out after her he partly closes the door and stops on the landing for a moment to say mind i'm not knuckling down to any man here i knuckle down to mrs tarleton because she's a woman in a thousand i affirm my manhood all the same understand i don't give a damn for the lot of you he hurries out rather afraid of the consequences of this defiance which has provoked johnny to an impatient movement towards him thank goodness he's gone oh what a bore what a bore talk 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 patty it's no good we're going to talk and we're going to talk about you it's no use shirking it pat we'd better know where we are come miss tarleton won't you sit down i'm very tired of standing hypatia comes from the pavilion and takes a chair at the work-table lord summerhayes takes the opposite chair on her right percival takes the chair johnny placed for lena on her arrival tarleton sits down at the end of the writing-table johnny remains standing lord summerhayes continues with a sigh of relief at being seated we shall now get the change of subject we are all pining for what's that the great question the question that men and women will spend hours over without complaining the question that occupies all the novel readers and all the playgoers the question they never get tired of but what question the question which particular young man some young woman will meet with as if it mattered what's that you said i said as if it mattered i call that ungentlemanly do you care about that you who are so magnificently unladylike look here mr percival you're not supposed to insult my sister oh shut up johnny i can take care of myself don't you interfere oh very well if you choose to give yourself away like that to allow a man to call you unladylike and then to be unladylike i've nothing more to say i think mr percival is most ungentlemanly but i won't be protected i'll not have my affairs interfered with by men on pretense of protecting me i'm not your baby if i interfered between you and a woman you would soon tell me to mind my own business children don't squabble read dr watts behave yourselves i've nothing more to say and as i don't seem to be wanted here i shall take myself off he goes out with affected calm through the pavilion summer Hayes, a family is an awful thing an impossible thing cat and dog patsy i'm ashamed of you 
I'll make it up with Johnny afterwards, but I really can't have him here sticking his clumsy hoof into my affairs. The question is, Mr. Percival, are you really a gentleman, or are you not? Was Napoleon really a gentleman, or was he not? He made the lady get out of the way of the porter, and said, Respect the burden, madam. That was behaving like a very fine gentleman. But he kicked Volney for saying that what France wanted was the Bourbons back again. That was behaving rather like a navvy. Now I, like Napoleon, am not all one piece. On occasion, as you have all seen, I can behave like a gentleman. On occasion, I can behave with a brutal simplicity of which Miss Tarleton herself could hardly surpass. Gentlemen or no gentlemen, Patsy, what are your intentions? My intentions? Surely it's the gentleman who should be asked his intentions. Come now, Patsy, none of that nonsense. Has Mr. Percival said anything to you that I ought to know, or that Bentley ought to know? Have you said anything to Mr. Percival? Mr. Percival chased me through the heather and kissed me. As a gentleman, Mr. Percival, what do you say to that? As a gentleman, I do not kiss and tell. As a mere man, a mere cad, if you like, I say that I did so at Miss Tarleton's own suggestion. Beast! I don't deny that I enjoyed it, but I did not initiate it, and I began by running away. So Patsy can run faster than you, can she? Yes, when she is in pursuit of me. She runs faster and faster, I run slower and slower, and these woods of yours are full of magic. There was a confounded fern owl. Did you ever hear the chirr of a fern owl? Did you ever hear it create a sudden silence by ceasing? Did you ever hear it call its mate by striking its wings together twice and whistling that single note that no nightingale can imitate? That is what happened in the woods when I was running away. So I turned, and the pursuer became the pursued. I had to fight like a wildcat. Please don't tell us this. It's not fit for old people to hear. Come, how did it end? It's not ended yet. How is it going to end? Ask him. How is it going to end, Mr. Percival? I can't afford to marry Mr. Tarleton. I've only a thousand a year until my father dies. Two people can't possibly live on that. Oh, can't they? When I married, I should have been jolly glad to have felt sure of a quarter of it. No doubt, but I am not a cheap person, Mr. Tarleton. I was brought up in a household which cost at least seven or eight times that, and I am in constant money difficulties because I simply don't know how to live on the thousand-a-year scale. As to ask a woman to share my degrading poverty, it's out of the question. Besides, I'm rather young to marry. I'm only twenty-eight. Papa, buy the brute for me. My dear Miss Tarleton, don't be so naughty. I know how delightful it is to shock an old man, but there is a point at which it becomes barbarous. Don't, please don't. Shall I tell Papa about you? Carlton, I had better tell you that I once asked your daughter to become my widow. Why didn't you accept him, you young idiot? I was too old. All this has been going on under my nose, I suppose. You run after young men, and old men run after you. And I'm the last person in the world to hear of it. How could I tell you? Parents and children, Tarleton. Oh, the gulf that lies between them, the impassable eternal gulf. And so I'm to buy the brute for you, eh? Huh? If you please, Papa. What's the price, Mr. Percival? We might do with another fifteen hundred if my father would contribute, but I should like more. It's purely a question of money with you, is it? Uh, practically, yes. It turns on that. I thought you might have some sort of preference for Patsy, you know. Well, but does that matter, do you think? 
Patsy fascinates me, no doubt. I apparently fascinate Patsy. But believe me, all that is not worth considering. One of my three fathers, the priest, has married hundreds of couples, couples selected by one another, couples selected by the parents, couples forced to marry one another by circumstances of one kind or another, and he assures me that if marriages were made by putting all the men's names into one sack and the women's names into another and having them taken out by a blindfolded child like lottery numbers, there would be just as high a percentage of happy marriages as we have here in England. He said, Cupid was nothing but the blindfolded child. Pretty idea, that, I think. I shall have as good a chance with Patsy as with anyone else. Mind, I'm not bigoted about it. I'm not a doctrinaire, not the slave of a theory. You and Lord Summerhays are experienced married men. If you can tell me of any trustworthy method of selecting a wife, I shall be happy to make use of it. I await your suggestions. He looks with polite attention to Lord Summerhays, who, having nothing to say, avoids his eye. He looks to Tarleton, who purses his lips glumly and rattles his money in his pockets without a word. Apparently neither of you has anything to suggest. Then Patsy will do as well as another, provided the money is forthcoming. Oh, you beauty, you beauty. When I married Patsy's mother, I was in love with her. For the first time? Yes, for the first time. For the last time? Sir, you are in the presence of his daughter. Oh, don't mind me, I don't care. I'm accustomed to papa's adventures. Patsy, my child. That was not... not delicate. Well, Papa, you've never shown any delicacy in talking to me about my conduct, and I really don't see why I shouldn't talk to you about yours. It's such nonsense. Do you think young people don't know? I'm sure they don't feel. Tarleton, this is too horrible, too brutal. If neither of these young people have any... 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 Shall we say paternal sentimentality? I'm extremely sorry to shock you, but you must remember that I've been educated to discuss human affairs with three fathers simultaneously. I'm an adult person. Patsy is an adult person. You do not inspire me with veneration. Apparently you do not inspire Patsy with veneration. That may surprise you. It may pain you. I'm sorry. It can't be helped. What about the money? You don't inspire me with generosity, young man. <laughs> he had you there, Joey. I haven't been a bad father to you, Patsy. I don't say you have, dear. If only I could persuade you I've grown up, we should get along perfectly. Do you remember Bill Burt? Why? Bill Burt was a laborer here. I was going to sack him for kicking his father. He said his father had kicked him until he was big enough to kick back. Patsy begged him off. I asked that man what it felt like the first time he kicked his father, and found that it was just like kicking any other man. He laughed, and said that it was the old man that knew what it felt like. Think of that, Summerhays, think of that. I haven't kicked you, Papa. You've kicked me harder than Bill Burt ever kicked. It's no use, Tarleton, spare yourself. Do you seriously expect these young people at their age to sympathize with what this gentleman calls your paternal sentimentality? Is it nothing to you but paternal sentimentality, Patsy? Well, I greatly prefer your superabundant vitality, Papa. Hold your tongue, you young devil. The young are all alike, hard, coarse, shallow, cruel, selfish, dirty-minded. You can clear out of my house as soon as you can coax him to take you, and the sooner the better. I think you said your price was fifteen hundred a year. Take it, and I wish you joy of your bargain. 
If you wish to know who I am— I don't care a tinker's curse who you are, or what you are. You're willing to take that girl off my hands for fifteen hundred a year. That's all that concerns me. Tell her who you are if you like. It's her affair, not mine. Don't answer him, Joey. It won't last. Lord Summerhays, I'm sorry about Bentley, but Joey's the only man for me. It may. Please, don't say it may break your poor boy's heart. It's much more likely to break yours. Oh. Tarleton, springing to his feet. Leave the room. Do you hear? Leave the room. Aren't we getting a little cross? Don't be angry, Mr. Tarleton. Read Marcus Aurelius. Don't you dare make fun of me. Take your aeroplane out of my vinery, and yourself out of my house. Percival, rising, to Hypatia. I'm afraid I shall have to dine at the Beacon, Patsy. Hypatia, rising. Do. I dine with you. Did you hear me tell you to leave the room? I did. You see what living with one's parents means, Joey. It means living in a house where you can be ordered to leave the room. I've got to obey. It's his house, not mine. Who pays for it? Go and support yourself as I did, if you want to be independent. I wanted to, and you wouldn't let me. How can I support myself when I'm a prisoner? Hold your tongue. Keep your temper. Lord Summerhays, you'll join me, I'm sure, in pointing out to both father and daughter that they have now reached that very common stage in family life at which anything but a blow would be an anticlimax. Do you seriously want to beat Patsy, Mr. Tarleton? Yes. I want to thrash the life out of her. If she doesn't get out of my reach, I'll do it. Hypatia, coolly going to him and leaning with her breast on his writhing shoulders. Oh, if you want to beat me just to relieve your feelings, just really and truly for the fun of it and the satisfaction of it, beat away. I don't grudge you that. I used to think that this sort of thing went on in other families, but that it never could happen in ours. And now... I can't say the right thing. I can't do the right thing. I don't know what is the right thing. I'm beaten, and she knows it. Summerhays, tell me what to do. When my counsel and Genghis Khan reached the point of coming to blows, I used to adjourn the sitting. Let us postpone the discussion. Wait until Monday. We shall have Sunday to quiet down in. Believe me, I'm not making fun of you, but I think there's something in this young gentleman's advice. Read something. I'll read King Lear. Don't. I'm very sorry, dear. You're not. You're laughing at me. Serve me right, parents and children. No man should know his own child. No child should know its own father. Let the family be rooted out of civilization. Let the human race be brought up in institutions. Oh, yes, how jolly. You and I might be friends then, and Joey could stay to dinner. Let him stay to dinner. Let him stay to breakfast. Let him spend his life here. Don't you say I drove him out. Don't you say I drove you out. I really have no right to inflict myself on you. Dropping in as I did. Out of the sky. Ha! Dropping in. The new sport of aviation. You just see a nice house, drop in, scoop up the man's daughter, and off with you again. Bentley comes back, with his shoulders hanging as if he too had been exercised to the last pitch of fatigue. He is very sad. 
They stare at him as he gropes to Percival's chair. I'm sorry for making a fool of myself. I beg your pardon, Hypatia. I'm awfully sorry. But I've made up my mind that I'll never marry. He sits down in deep depression. Hypatia, running to him. How nice of you, Bentley. Of course you guessed I wanted to marry Joey. What did the Polish lady do to you? I'd rather not speak of her, if you don't mind. You've fallen in love with her. It's beastly of you to laugh. You're not the first to fall today under the lash of that young lady's terrible derision, Bentley. Lena, her cap on and her goggles in her hand, comes impetuously through the inner door. Mr. Percival, can we get that aeroplane started again? She comes down and runs to the pavilion door. I must get out of this into the air, right up into the blue. Impossible. The frame's twisted. The petrol has given out. That's what brought us down. And how can we get a clear run to start with among these woods? Lena, swooping back through the middle of the pavilion. We can straighten the frame. We can buy petrol at the beacon. With a few labourers we can get her out onto the Portsmouth Road and start her along that. Tarleton, rising. But why do you want to leave us, Miss... Old pal, this is a stuffy house. You seem to think of nothing but making love. All the conversation here is about love-making. All the pictures are about love-making. The eyes of all of you are sheep's eyes. You are steeped in it, soaked in it. The very texts on the walls of your bedrooms are the ones about love. It is disgusting. It is not healthy. Your women are kept idle and dressed up for no other purpose than to be made love to. I have not been here an hour, and already everybody makes love to me, as if because I am a woman it were my profession to be made love to. First you, old pal. I forgave you because you were nice about your wife. Oh, 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 papa! Then you, Lord Summerhays, come to me, and all you have to say is to ask me not to mention that you made love to me in Vienna two years ago. I forgave you because I thought you were an ambassador, and all ambassadors make love, and are very nice and useful to people who travel. Then this young gentleman. He is engaged to this young lady, but no matter for that. He makes love to me because I carry him off in my arms when he cries. All these I bore in silence. But now comes your Johnny and tells me I'm a ripping fine woman and asks me to marry him. I, Lena Shchepanovska, marry him? I do not mind this boy. He is a child. He loves me. I should have to give him money and take care of him. That would be foolish, but honourable. I do not mind you, old pal. You are what you called an old oof, but you do not offer to buy me. You say, until we are tired, until you are so happy, that you dare not ask for more. That is foolish, too, at your age. But it is an adventure. It is not dishonourable. I do not mind, Lord Summerhays. It was in Vienna. They had been toasting him at a great banquet. He was not sober. That is bad for the health, but it is not dishonourable. But your Johnny. Oh, your Johnny with his marriage. He will do the straight thing by me. He will give me a home, a position. He tells me I must know that my present position is not one for a nice woman. This to me, Lena Shchepanovska. I am an honest woman. I earn my living. I am a free woman. I live in my own house. I am a woman of the world. I have thousands of friends. Every night crowds of people applaud me, delight in me, buy my picture, pay hard-earned money to see me. I am strong, 
I am skilful, I am brave, I am independent, I am unbought, I am all that a woman ought to be, and in my family there has not been a single drunkard for four generations. And this Englishman, this linen draper, he dares to ask me to come and live with him in this rabbit hutch, and take my bread from his hand, and ask him for pocket money, and wear soft clothes, and be his woman, his wife. <laughs> Sooner than that I would stoop to the lowest depths of my profession. I would stuff lions with food and pretend to tame them. I would deceive honest people's eyes with conjuring tricks instead of real feats of strength and skill. I would be a clown and set bad examples of conduct to little children. I would sink lower yet and be an actress or an opera singer, imperiling my soul by the wicked lie of pretending to be somebody else. All this I would do sooner than take my bread from the hand of a man and make him the master of my body and soul. And so you may tell your Johnny to buy an Englishwoman. He shall not buy Lena Shechepanovska, and I will not stay in the house where such dishonour is offered me. Adieu. She turns precipitately to go, but is faced in the pavilion doorway by Johnny, who comes in slowly, his hands in his pockets, meditating deeply. You won't mention our little conversation, Miss Shepanoska. It'll do no good, and I'd rather you didn't. We've just heard about it, Johnny. Oh, is that so? The cat's out of the bag, Johnny, about everybody. They were all beforehand with you. Papa, Lord Summerhays, Bentley, and all. Don't you let them laugh at you. Johnny, a grin slowly overspreading his countenance. Well, there's no use my pretending to be surprised at you, Governor, is there? I hope you got it as hot as I did. Mind, Miss Shepanoska, it wasn't lost on me. I'm a thinking man. I kept my temper. You'll admit that. Oh, yes, I do not quarrel. You are what is called a chump, but you're not a bad sort of chump. Thank you. Well, if a chump may have an opinion, I should put it at this. You make, I suppose, ten pounds a night off your own bat, Miss Lena? Ten pounds a night? I have made ten pounds a minute. Have you indeed? I didn't know. You'll excuse my mistake, I hope. But the principle is the same. Now I trust you won't be offended at what I'm going to say. But I've thought about this and watched it in daily experience. And you may take it from me that the moment a woman becomes pecuniarily independent, she gets hold of the wrong end of the stick in moral questions. Indeed. And what do you conclude from that, Mr. Johnny? Well, obviously that independence for women is wrong and shouldn't be allowed. For their own good, you know. And for the good of morality in general. You agree with me, Lord Summerhays, don't you? It's a very moral moral, if I may so express myself. Mrs. Tarleton comes in softly through the inner door. Don't make too much noise. The lad's asleep. Chickabiddy, we have some news for you. Now there's no need, you know, Governor, to worry Mother with everything that passes. What's been going on? Don't you hold anything back from me, John. What have you been doing? Bentley isn't going to marry Patsy. Of course not. Is that your great news? I never believed she'd marry him. There's something else. Mr. Percival here. Are you going to marry Patsy? Patsy is going to marry me with your permission. Oh, she has my permission. She ought to have been married long ago. Mother! Miss Lena here, though she has been so short a time with us, has inspired a good deal of attachment in, I may say, in almost all of us. Therefore, I hope she'll stay to dinner and not insist on flying away in that aeroplane. 
And you must stay, Miss Shepanovska. I can't go up again this evening. I've seen you work it. Do you think I require any help? And Bentley shall come with me as a passenger. Go up in an aeroplane? I daren't. You must learn to dare. All right. I'll come. Do you no, want to no, kill Bentley. the child? Impossible. He shan't go. I shall not allow it. I will. I'll lie down and yell into you. Let me go. I'm not a coward. I won't be a coward. Miss Shuchapanovska, my son is very dear to me. I implore you to wait until tomorrow morning. There may be a storm tomorrow. And I'll go. Storm or no storm. I must risk my life tomorrow. I hope there will be a storm. You are trembling. Yes. It's terror. Sheer terror. I can hardly see. I can hardly stand. But I'll go with you. Lena, slapping him on the back and knocking a ghastly white smile into his face. You shall. I like you, my boy. We go tomorrow, together. Yes, together, tomorrow. Well, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Read the old book. Is there anything else? Well, I, uh, I, uh, I, well, I suppose, uh, I suppose there's nothing more to be said. Thank goodness. End of part three. End of Miss Alliance by George Bernard Shaw.